So welcome back to the AAC Hive podcast, where we're talking about innovation in architecture, engineering, and construction. I'm Ralph Montague, director at ArcDocs and co-founder of the AAC Hive. I'm joined by John Egan, fellow co-founder. John, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, everyone. It's John Egan, CEO of BIM Launcher. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. So we're very excited today to be joined by a superhero or fighter of evil BIM. Clive Jordan is the CEO and co-founder of Planoly, the BIM management platform. Clive, we're really excited to have you on the show and looking forward to talking to you. Do you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself and, and your business? Sure, you'll probably have to stop me at some point. Thanks for the crazy, uh, overinflated introduction. Um, <laughs> this is something to look up to there. The, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me and giving me a chance to share about how we can improve this industry together. I love what you guys are doing, so thanks for that. The um, Yeah, I, where I've come from and, and what defines me, I suppose, is a lot of different roles. I had the absolute honor and also just lucky, really, to get a chance to have uh, wearing each hat. So I've been an architect, I've been an owner, I've been an, an engineer by background, a contractor, and then also technology, but technology is my passion. That's where you can really leverage something that where one line of code can get used by millions of people. And that's really what our industry needs. So that's been a passion. And I was lucky to be one of the, the co-founding team at Vico back in the, in the depths of the first 4D applications to commercially uh, make it available so that we can use models to get quantities and drive cost and drive schedule, et cetera. Schedule, I should say. And then I should mention as well. So I'm in the US now and everyone gets very confused by my accent as far as where I'm actually from. I go back to my hometown in Suffolk in, in England and they ask me where am I from? And they, they're mostly so convinced that I'm Australian that, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's some funny stories there as well. But yeah, yeah. So we've had a, had a chance to in a lot of different guises, but now fighting the evil BIM fight, as you said. So that's where Planoly comes in, and that's what we're doing at the moment. Just for the benefit of the listeners, Planoly is focused on the, the, the planning stage of, of the construction cycle, which is, which is a, a piece that uh, people tend to forget. I mean, I suppose in my experience in the industry for almost 30 years, people just want to get onto a project and get on and do the work, and they don't want to spend a lot of time planning what they're going to do in advance. And even some professionals feel that you know it feels like a waste of time and you know because they they know what to do <laughs> yep so would that be your view as well that planning isn't something that people take seriously or yeah no nobody likes planning especially when it's in bim because how how much better is it to build a 3d model really quickly and spin it around and uh, wow the owner and win a win another project and say you know we're doing amazing things with bim but if we're not meeting the customer's requirements on each of those model deliverables, then it's going to be wasteful in, in a certain regard. So some part of that is, is evil BIM. And unfortunately, because it's not that attractive, it's really an administration task, creating a plan. And unfortunately, there's no tools, especially from a, a BIM perspective historically to make that easier and make that part of the workflow that then connects into the downstream deliverable. And checking so yeah, yeah we, we took the boring part and made it hopefully interesting a lot a lot more simple that's our focus simplifying something that really shouldn't be a burden for people 
Yeah. Of course, what was it? Uh, Benjamin Franklin said, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. So it's yeah. an incredibly important uh, function. Yeah, it's amazing. And so describe a little bit for us what do you mean by evil BIM? Just do you want to dig into that a little bit? What is evil BIM? <laughs> what is evil BIM? We, we've written quite a lot about evil BIM, but uh, it ranges from anything when you're, you're creating too much of a model. If you've got too much BIM and nobody's going to use it, that's kind of an evil thing. That's a wasteful thing. What about if you've got too little BIM as well, so not enough thing, they're not able to get the quantities from it or they're not able to coordinate. Or when they do use it in coordination or quantification, there's erroneous, um, there's, there's errors downstream. So essentially you're providing a model that is going to be used and it, it becomes more effort and more rework later on downstream. So things like that. E evil BIM, evil BIM could be an owner reline about how BIM is going to save them loads of time and money. And they put, I want some BIM in my contract. And unfortunately, that causes a ripple effect downstream where all of the teams are saying, well, the owner wants BIM. So let's provide them a huge model and a massive Kobe output that unfortunately falls on deaf ears because they didn't really define what they were needing, they, what they were going to use. So there can be a, an evil side of specifying BIM uh, anything that, so for example, clashes, clashes are evil BIM. If we, if we run clash avoidance and have more a, a planned workflow so that teams can understand when they're supposed to model, what they're supposed to model and really follow a, a, a priority sequence, we'll reduce the number of issues that we have. So there's a kind of a, a number of different things that fall into that. One of them, I love them. The most evil is possibly intentionally using BIM in a bad way so that you can get a change order in place. So for example, when you, yeah, you, you get a, a, a model in and that's the scope, but if something changes, you can very clearly visually show something and it looks like there's a lot that has been changed and people have been using BIM in that way, in an evil way. So yeah, there's a lot of others, but some of those kind mm. of hopefully paint the picture. One of my favorite evil BIMs is what I call pseudo BIM, you know, where where people are using BIM as a kind of parallel workflow. So they, they're continuing to produce documents in CAD and, and other applications. And then they've got one person in the corner of the office who's frantically trying to convert that back into BIM, you know, as a, as an afterthought or, right. or as a parallel exercise, which ultimately has no use because the, the model didn't generate the documents. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I've, and you I've also heard of, I've heard of forensic BIM. So I was speaking to some solicitors who were talking about using BIM to basically sue people. Yeah, that, there you go. That, that's, that, that, that's that could be an evil BIM. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You mentioned there the, the 2D side of things. So people, are unfortunately, in that parallel workflow, still contracted to the 2D. And that's the traditional workflow. And that's what teams have done you know, years and years and years, decades that they have produced and worked in this way. And uh, you know, your the whole emphasis here is is thinking about innovation and how that can improve the AC space. And the the teams are so ingrained into those workflows, and it's such a crutch that we fall back on. And until we can flip the switch and actually start contracting for 3D and making that be the first priority rather than the you know, nice to have. That's uh, that's really where the change is going to come. So contracting for 3D is a is a big focus as well for us. And are you seeing good examples of, of client projects where you know, they're really getting this right? Or yeah, well, 
there's lots to get right. I think that yeah. we see a lot of teams that get value from BIM. And so BIM can provide you a, a better way of, of defining requirements and fulfilling objectives. And if you do that in a, in a workflow and I'll try and remove all of the, you know, the golden thread and the digital twin and the buzzwords, because really what we're talking about is if you can define the requirements for a customer and deliver on those in the leanest way possible, then you'll save money, you'll make more money and the customer will be happy and they will come in for another project with you. And so mm. we see the best results when teams are really using BIM for gaining efficiencies within their organization rather than just trying to externally portray that they're doing everything with BIM. If there's a list of 70 odd things or 100 things that you can do with BIM, whether they're BIM uses, model uses, the purpose of delivering a specific milestone or a model for coordination. If you don't define that and follow that accurately, then it's very, very difficult to hit it on the nail. But as you said, everyone's done this a million times before. So therefore, planning that out is not the first priority a lot of the time. So it's chicken and egg situation sometimes. Yeah, I think the planning thing is because people sort of think in their silos. And if you're an architect, you think, well, why do I need to plan? I'm, you know, I'm a professional architect. I know exactly what to do. Forgetting, of course, that other people need to know what you're going to be doing so that right. uh, they, they can plan their work around, <laughs> around you. So planning is also a communication, you know, sort of opening up communications, creating better understanding, setting expectations. You know, so there's a lot of usefulness in planning that people maybe haven't thought about. That's huge. What, what you just said there is if you're planning just for yourself, then you'll be gaining efficiencies for yourself. And that's really so I, rather than the whole project. And you mentioned their communication. That's a type of planning and facilitating those conversations at the right points in time so that teams can know what others are doing, because that that is essentially what's affecting their work all of the time. And if you don't, that's part of the clash avoidance workflow as well. If you know that on the last project, they moved the, you know, the column positions so many times through this period of design and that caused rework in my mechanical systems. What we're going to do this time is know when they are going to be modeling them, give them a time frame and help them understand that if they change something, they're going to have an impact downstream on other people. And so that kind of principle of communication is, is really powerful. You spent a lot of your career let's say, at the, the pointy end of innovation. I mean, you've been working for innovative companies, so, you know, developing new software programs, founding your own business. Uh, so obviously you're fully into innovation. One of the reasons we started AEC Hive is when you sort of step back and, and look at the whole industry, you kind of see that innovation isn't really a big thing and people are really just doing the same things over and over again. Would that be your view of the industry? And so many stories come to mind there. I'm thinking about one where uh, there was an estimator. This is like maybe 15 years ago that we were starting to put these principles in place for maybe 12 years, 12, 13, 14 years ago. They had a meeting with a, uh, a superintendent on the project and the superintendent was so dead set on a certain way of doing things and their validation of the that way of doing things was because he had done it that way for 20 years. That was that was the valid. That was the reason when asked, mm. why do you do it like this? And unfortunately, 
that is not somebody running towards innovation. That's not somebody running towards change. And and change can be a very dirty word in our industry. Change can be very disruptive. And when we are focused on project by project, it's really difficult to think of things at an organizational level. And that's really where change is driven. You can iterate on a project, but, you know, on a project, if it's a year or two years, then you'll gain efficiencies in that team. But unfortunately, what happens at the end of that project, everyone disbands, goes somewhere else onto another project. And anything that you've created as a, a communication network or a, an ability to in, in, enhance what's happening for the design, build, operate cycle, it unfortunately is squashed. And then you have to recreate it on another project. So, yeah, our industry isn't set up in the project to project approach and the margins and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we can talk about, um, you know, we can show him a cleanly curve to the owner and the architect forever and maybe not even make a, a change, you know, making decisions earlier. Yeah, that sounds like a good thing, but this is the way we work and this is the way we contract and this is our industry. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I obviously we come across that a lot. Yeah. John, you're also coming at from the software side and, and, and wondering how can we create innovation? How can we t- disrupt some of these wasteful practices? John, have you got any thoughts on that? I suppose in respect to the workflows that Plannerly is trying to resolve for design teams and contractors with regards to setting out the steps that each different stakeholder actually needs to, I suppose, deliver on in order for the project to go smoothly, if you like. How, and from my perspective, BIM is not just about the 3D model or the information within that model. It's about the digitization of construction. And as far as I'm concerned, BIM can be done just as well without a 3D model as with a 3D model. Um, And the reason for that is because it's all about the information exchange and the flow of information throughout the project and how that's executed upon. And I want to ask, what is Plannerly doing today to help alleviate and align the requirements of stakeholders to actually exchange information throughout the project lifecycle? Yeah, I I love your statement there. It's not about the the BIM 3D model. It's about the information exchanges. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think that's a combination, I suppose, for the answer on a plannerly side is planning early. That's the play on the name, plan early, plannerly. Uh, but the, the principle is what do you plan? You plan those information exchanges and aligning requirements from parties collaboratively very early is, is the key. And I think that the challenge is that we've got some great processes. We've got some great standards. We've got fantastic people in our industry, intelligent people. The, the challenge though, however, has been when we create a contract in a Word document, PDF it, send it on an email somewhere, when we create a BIM execution plan that's completely separate but you know appended, and when we create a scope or a responsibility matrix and then another task information delivery matrix and a master information delivery matrix somewhere summarizing, and all of that is in separate places, and complex workflow 
it's it's fantastic. It's required, but it's not simple. And I think that the missing piece in actually implementing the planning workflow that enables the information exchanges to be defined clearly is making that simple. And, and that's what we focus on. So that that's our primary objective at Planoly is to make the ISO 19650 and also all other standards for project management, no, not just BIM management uh, around the world, a lot more simple and clear and actually fun to put in place rather than avoid and give it to one person in one company and for it never to be really adhered to or agreed to, adhered to and, and, and followed throughout. So, yeah, make make things simple for our industry. And of course, the plan so is one the, thing doing uh, the plan, but you also have to check check that people are following the plan. Yep. It's yeah, a, absolutely. The plan has to be used. Yeah. So in, ter- in terms of plannerly, it's not just a planning tool, but it's a project execution tool as well. No, somebody described it as a both a tool and a process. And it's like it's like having you know, somebody that knows all of the the workflow required to to adhere to the best standards in one place. And that that's. We provide templates. There's a lot of new ISO templates that are coming into the product as well. Uh, and it's just about, about making that simple. Yeah, it, it's simplifying that workflow and helping teams to have an agreement before they go and waste time on things that are not going to add value and there's no customer for and they don't know how to exchange that between the teams. You're also a big proponent of, of lean. And obviously that comes from your, your days of being involved in the, the planning and lean construction, cutting out the waste. My sort of view at the moment of lean construction is it's something that's done from construction stage and it's it's hardly ever brought into the design stage. You know, I know people talk about lean design, but that's sort of beginning with the end in mind and the the the, the last planner concept. You know, doesn't seem to be talked about in the des- the design communities. Are you seeing lean being implemented in a much broader sense than just construction? Yeah, we are. We're seeing so from a lean design management perspective, teams, when creating models, don't want to put things in place and then rework the model multiple times in order to get something that works for everyone. So that's kind of the the early planning part inside of Planoly. You can print the pull planning cards and they're not just a sticky note with some writing on. They've got the image of what that other person is going to be doing so that. When you're in a meeting room or when you're in a when you're on a board and you see these cards on the on the Kanban board, it's really about visualizing, understanding other people's tasks at the same time. So part of the lean principle is how do you how do you identify and eliminate waste? That's kind of like the overall. If we can identify who does what, when and make that available to people that actually care about not just the result, not just the end deliverable, but also when the certain steps are going to be completed because that affects their own work. If we can make that available to everyone, that is a lean concept of information shared and making sure that teams are up to date on exactly what the, the progress is, for example. Instead of starting every meeting and asking teams, how how's it going? What's your status? How What's your progress to date? Instead of doing that, it's all wrapped into the workflow so that everyone's to-do list is the same to-do list, but it's just filtered for them. And they're communicating without even knowing it, their status on their progress as they're going. Uh, the, the lean principle on the 
on lean design and lean construction. Yes, I, I completely agree. Lean in construction is much more obvious and prevalent. And it's this in-person sticky note principle on the wall. And it's similar to that that we are implementing in the design workflow without trying to impact the the design aspect of design, because that is iterative. It That is a principle that will go round and round and round to get to a better outcome. But with mm. with BIM, we're, we're trying to allow that to occur at the right stage, but then from the owner's perspective, lock it down when you start making decisions and trying to keep those frozen so that it can be a leaner workflow to get to the end result. We had a great project. There's a case study they had 53% fewer issues and it finished 16 and a half percent earlier. So it was a one year design timeline, something like that one year. There's a case study on it that you can look up, but mm. it, it really, that was kind of the highlight to me. It was, holy crap, this is, <laughs> this is actually going to be quite <laughs> valuable because <laughs> they're big numbers when we're talking about a 2% margin. So yeah. And the other thing that John and I have been exploring is when it comes to innovation is what what sort of format or, uh, works when it comes to innovation? Is it hackathons? Is it communities coming together to carry out workshops? Or is it just companies that are working internally by themselves trying to do something? In your circles, in your community, you know, who do you mix with and who do you feed off and, you know, in terms of innovation in your communities? And, and and how do you do that? Is it just meetups or hackathons? Yeah, I, I love all of those. So hackathons are, are a great way. I mean, we've enjoyed some time with very bright minds and, and trying to iterate quickly on some fun projects. But where we get the most beneficial ideas is directly working with the customers and implementing. We have an ideas board and the way that we are interacting with these, we're actually starting some lighthouse partnerships where those teams that are really on the forefront of implementing building information modeling, not just for show, but for true efficiencies and not just for them, but for the project overall and the, the workflow and really understand it. That that's, that's where we would look to. Unfortunately, there's, as we mentioned, there's innovation on a project sense on a project level, but not many companies have innovation teams. Mm-hmm. There are a few that put money towards innovation and have people with those titles. But um, it's not something that R&D money goes towards very often inside of our industry. So, yeah, yeah. hackathons and working with very pioneering customers from our perspective is is really where most of that, the new ideas come from and useful um, ideas. One of our previous speakers was we were talking about platforms and how things are changing from sort of point solution products to more open ecosystems, you know, where multiple systems talk to each other, share and exchange various informations. What's Planoly's view of the world and platforms versus point solutions? And what are you guys doing? Yeah, we're, we're trying to do all of those things to make the, the customer available to have a choice. And from mm. Planoly perspective, it's essentially a bunch of point solutions that are on the same platform so that if you wanted to just improve the way you create a contract or a, or a BIM execution plan, then you can just use the plan module on its own. If you want to also include a downstream workflow and you want to put your models on BIM 360 and then have those linked to your contract requirements inside of Planoly, 
then we integrate through that workflow to allow you to do that. And there's a bunch of others. And I, I so for me, I totally agree. Integrations are the way forward and being as open as you can always. And we are as neutral as it can be as well. There's no, we, we're not, we're not on anyone's side from a technology perspective either. We are in close relations with all of the big leaders, the, the Autodesk's BIM object, for example, Celebri. We've started, uh, you know, these are historical kind of relationships as well. Vila there. We used to work at in the, in the Vico days. So there's a bunch of really exciting things that really provide value to the customer to, to have them choose. It's up to them. Do they want a set of point solutions that can be all glued together? Do they want to be able to integrate some parts on and off the workflow on on-ramp here and off-ramp there? Yeah, absolutely. Being flexible. You mentioned earlier that you, you said we're going to not talk about uh, golden threads and digital twins. <laughs> and, uh, are those uh, evil BIM? When you're looking to the future, like what do you... What are you finding interesting at the moment and keeping you excited about the, the industry and where it's going? I, I love the fact that we're starting to have more common understanding of a workflow and what can be useful for our industry and being able to document that and standardize it. I, I love that. I think that we're making great strides with, um, with from the ISO perspective and being able to have something that people can read and, and, and follow to a certain extent, I think that there's a whole bunch of other evil comes into that and confusion that needs to be simplified for our industry. We talk about golden thread and digital twin, they bring them up and it's difficult not to talk about them because it sounds cool. I mean, when you talk about a digital twin to an owner, sure, I want a digital twin. Why not? That sounds great. <laughs> um, but um, I think that we're still over promising a lot. And from the owner's perspective, I am seeing more owners becoming more aware and and savvy about what BIM is, what the uses are, how it can provide them value. So that's one part that, that's cool. And obviously all of the all of the really sexy stuff as well as far as you know VR, AR, MR, the, all of those things to use models in more of a a social way as well that, you know, you see the big companies uh, that are starting from a, a hardware perspective, you know, Apple, for example, and their devices are becoming um, powerful. And what you can now do, you, you go on the Amazon store and you can just say, what does that couch look like in my in my living room? Boom. And I'm you know starting to interact with these fantastic technologies without any training. And I think that that part is what I, I really I, I love seeing is the simplification of something that is really quite complex, but that's the, that's the, that's the thing that's going to break through everything. I, I remember I, I used this a lot, but there, there was a meeting a number of years ago. I was with our chief product officer in a customer, a contractor, and they we were talking about what the product they did at that point in time. It was Vico and we were talking about a new feature and there were, there were two buttons for them. And we, we said, so basically, if you know one thing happens, you do this. And the other thing happens, you press the other button. And the, the customer said, that's great. But is there any way that we could make that just one button? And I, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's brilliant. Because the more and more simple that you make something, the more and more likely that teams are going to be able to implement it. And so 
instead of saying no, you know, the answer is, yeah, let's try that. Let's see whether we can do that and make it even easier. So, mm. yeah. What's frustrating you at the moment about the industry and besides <laughs> evil them or is it just evil them? <laughs> I just I try and categorize everything under a fun topic so that a fun heading so that I. <laughs> I don't call it frustrating. Yeah, I try not to be frustrated and we try and see these as opportunities. So when somebody comes to us and says, um, I'm having trouble with this and now because we can implement technology so quickly to solve those challenges. Yeah, I see frustrations as, you know, it sounds corny, but they're an opportunity. And when historically it's taken, I remember in the Vico days, it would be a 500 megabyte download of the software and it would be probably between when somebody comes to us and says, I would love it to do this. And our team took that idea and said, okay, this is a great idea. We need to implement this rapidly. One year later, it became a part of the application that they could download and then update in their software. Um, and that just doesn't cut it. So I see these frustrations now as because we can implement something so quickly, um, and make something so simple using cloud-based you push you know nobody even knows we don't even version necessarily the software anymore it is the live version it is the you know you don't need to say what what version of Planoly are we using you just open up a web browser and there it is um, so how do you enhance the for me the frustration is not being able to deliver fast enough that's really it mm. that so there's some great things we can do but it's frustrating to say okay let's say that that's now the third priority so yeah lots of things we can i think that's probably the way um things are going like the move from desktop applications to web web applications and uh, i mean that's pretty much what you're focusing on john evil desktop applications yeah web apps are the way forward I haven't used or developed for a desktop application in four years, ever since I found out the power of the web. It's like <laughs> desktop is all news. Um, so that's when I began to upskill to web development. So, yeah, that's kind of was one of the big yeah. pushes that I had in, I suppose, uh, on my path, at least as a, technical founder of BIM Launcher. Yeah. And I mm. think this idea of apps as well, like, you know, you don't have to buy these mammoth uh, programs that have like hundreds of functions when you only need five of them. So that you just download the app that's most applicable to the job you have to do. You just, you just use that. I think that's an interesting concept as well. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I think that apps are getting smaller and more focused. Um, whereas in the past, I think that developers and, you know, specifically the, the larger vendors would try and build a large range of features that would, they would try and pack into one platform. Um, and I think that with technologies like no code, um, solutions where, you know, pretty much it's, enabling anyone to actually build an application with no code, they're actually able to, like, so if you take, for example, Microsoft Webflow, I think it's Microsoft uh, or Microsoft Power Apps, Node-RED, 
these kind of plat, uh, really fast to build applications, I think that that is also going to disrupt the existing vendor marketplace so that, you know, solutions can be used for optimized reading. Yeah. Quick, faster to develop and faster to implement and more focused on solving one specific problem than larger vendors can actually focus on. And I think that goes back to your earlier point as well, Ralph, about the move from point solutions to that platform approach where the the priority is for vendors is to integrate and not build out the feature set that they actually offer to their customers because there's always going to be that smaller, more agile startup that do it, does that feature better than you. But of course, as you move to that kind of web environment, then, you know, you can't just do things in your own way anymore. Like the HTML for websites, you you have to build within that framework, otherwise your website's not going to display on certain browsers, and you know so you've got to begin to follow the standards, and and I think that's that's probably quite a challenge for a lot of software vendors is they've got legacy applications based on standards that they've developed proprietary standards that that only relate to their product. What's Panelly doing, Clive, in in relation to with the, the emerging standards, the ISO 19650 and various other standards that related to that? Yeah, we allow you to select uh, from a range. And if you kind of look at the history of where we've come from, we tried originally to solve the LOD problem. Um, that was that was part of our original uh, concept, the LOD 100 through 500 scale back in the Vico days. So we were to blame for, for that part. But we, we didn't tell the world to, to use it as a standard for all of the different things that it started to become used as. Uh, we were literally just focused on the geometry uh, aspect. So the, mm. that was kind of a bit of a surprise over that 12 year period to see implementation around the world. And we're like, ah, that's not really how it's supposed to be used. But, um, <laughs> so, so thankfully, uh, we can, we can wipe that away. But at the same time, lots of teams are still using that. So, Inside of Planoly, when you create a project, you can select, do you want to use the AIA um, LOD standard? Do you want to use the BIM Forum LOD standard? Do you want to use the one that they implement in Brazil, for example, or um, in the Netherlands or, or in, in um, I think, uh, I'm trying to think which one has the, is it? North? So some of, the, some of them have, I think it's Denmark, they have a 325. In the US, they've got a 350. Um, mm. Okay, great. All of those. But the default is, I think, none inside of the application, which is actually following or essentially it outlines the framework for level of information need. It's how do you define what is required, how much geometry, how much documentation, how much information, who's responsible, how accurate, how reliable, all of those things. And it can be inside of one information requirement container that is specified and it doesn't have to be clouded by an obscure number. You can select whichever okay. one you want. And obviously that's giving, you know, giving that sort of clarity that people need. So there's no, there is no confusion and no arguments later as to if you get too little information or too much information, you know, unreasonable expectations. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How, how can you be clear about what the requirements are and, yeah. and be lean about it? So don't over specify information requirements, for example. But without sort of 
tainting things, but the LOI scale is it was always um, wasteful. It was always if I need LOI four and there's a whole bunch of properties in their parameters that I do not need. It's really difficult to start specifying more more accurately what you what is required. So being able to be much more targeted with information requirements and know who is asking for the information, who's responsible for it at what point in time is, is really powerful. Um, and so that kind of lends itself to that lean workflow and lean in design management when it comes to BIM. And I think there's still a lot of misunderstanding in the market, even amongst the professionals on these basics. Like, you know, I had a, a discussion with an architect the other day. He said, well, I don't have to provide properties or attributes. The contractor is going to provide that. I said, well, that's not true. You, the architect, you have to determine the, the performance specification of the products or the materials that you, you want the contractor to use. And then when the contractor makes a technical submit, submittal to you on the, the actual product that he's proposing to purchase, then you can compare the two. So you do have to create it. <laughs> and you are the architect of record. And he thought somehow because the contractor was going to do the work, he no longer had to do the work of, of an architect. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, it's <laughs> just been done in a different way in specifications and contract documentation in a completely abstract way, not usually even in a filtered way. There's so much unnecessary documentation historically that doesn't get filtered through for the right person to understand exactly what they're doing. Now we're just making it easier to define, more fun to define and have a customer that's actually wanting what's being done. Hopefully that that what that's what will win the day for those teams that um, maybe don't think that BIM is for them or information <laughs> communication of information is is for them. It's the communication piece. I, think. I mean, one of the often tell a funny story, but I used to practice as an architect and then became a BIM consultant, which allowed me to to engage at a different in a different way with contractors and, and other people outside of the field of architecture. And I remember talking to a contractor and he said, uh, we were talking about window schedules or door schedules. And he said, oh, I never use the the, con the architect's win window schedules or door schedules. They're always wrong. We are, I always get our door supplier or window supplier to produce the schedule. And I was just thinking, that's incredible. That's crazy because you know, the one thing that architects hate the most is doing door schedules and window schedules. And, and then to find out after you know 20 odd years that nobody's looking at them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it, it is crazy. I, I, I relate to that so, so much. I spent three years as an owner implementing BIM across a supply chain, and it was eye-opening how often teams would say, here you go, this is the package that I uh, was most was contracted to deliver on this date, and uh, sorry it's you know a week late, but here, here you go, this is everything you required. I spent day and night over the last three weeks doing it and meeting this deadline as much as I could. And the person leaves it on their desk. It's not, you know, maybe on page three, there's two numbers that they need and that's it. And and you think how much waste in not just the preparation of the data and uh, putting that package together, but the formatting, making it look nice and et cetera. And all they needed was a few numbers from that, that deliverable. And they could have probably just said if the, if they knew that they were the pieces of information that were required by that date, he would have had the, the that information the week earlier and it would have been less work. And maybe that guy would have spent more time with their family rather than spending their nights in the office doing the 
doing the work that wasn't didn't have a customer. So yeah, that's frustrating. I think one of our previous speakers said the, the, the absurdity of the construction industry. <laughs> yep, we, we've done it that way for so long. That is what goes in a whatever set of drawings or whatever whatever you know, document contract. You know, this is how we estimate. This is how we do this. And unfortunately, some of those things, if they don't have some flex, then they'll always be wasteful. Yeah. What's the future for Planly? What what can people expect? Integration in the, in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. As you guys are talking and John saying as well, I, I completely agree. Uh, more integrations, more ability to use an on and off ramp inside of Planly at whatever point in time. So we're not trying to be the the be all and end all for any anything. We're not we're not setting standards. We're not we are a framework for teams to collaborate. We're a project management framework, a platform that helps teams to agree. And plan early, plan early. Um, and the, the principle is the more that we can integrate with all of the other tools on the market, all of the other teams that are using um, whichever, you know, whether we're a point solution for them or there are point solutions that wrap into the workflow. That's the exciting part. That's what the future is for us. What do you think of the idea I mentioned on one of our previous calls? Vendors having some responsibility in implementing standards and you know, not sort of saying, well, we'll do, we'll do whatever the clients want us to do versus being part of the ecosystem to implement the, the standards or help implement the standards. Do it's, you think you have some role or some responsibility? Is that part of the, the fight against evil BIM? <laughs> I think everyone, everyone <laughs> has a responsibility to, to help standardize things. There's, unfortunately, sometimes it gets into the, if you, if you pay us money, we'll let you become part of this club. And I don't like that at all. The other side is if you start uh, having a relationship with one or two vendors, it, that's that's evil because it's really much more about uh, pushing a, a a software. And that's I think there are different goals, and that's what makes that cloudy. So a vendor obviously wants to sell more software, and a standards organization needs to create better, more um, standards that need to be adhered to. One of the things that we've done is partnered with some standard organizations that are using the platform free of charge to create their standards and then provide them free of charge to the end users. I think that's a bit of a sticky situation as well. Some standards you pay for, some standards you don't, and there are obviously reasons for that. But if there are any other standards or organizations around the world that are interested to partner, then we're open to that as well. That's a a free and open offer. That's that's what we're trying to do is not just not just provide input, but also we're providing a platform for them to create and communicate and then have an early adopter and a a chance for their reviewers to provide feedback and for them to not have to wait for a year for the standard to be updated. It actually is something that can be updated almost instantaneously, obviously with the permissions levels and with the um, going through work in progress, shared and published, uh, following the ISO standards there. So there's some quite cool and fun things that we're doing to, to help any standards organizations that want to, to make it more more easily accessible to the end user. Mm-hmm. Can you put that in more context, please? I'm struggling to understand what standards in particular and 
just trying to understand a bit more about the relationship and how you have them and they help you obviously by onboarding customers, I expect. But um, what's what standards specifically Plannerly help show users or users of the standards that the standard can be used on projects, etc.? So one of them is the level of accuracy specification. So being able to, for the the USIBD, the United States Industry Institution of Building Documentation, they host the standard in a way that they can continually work on, if necessary, in a gated form, but also with a way of having the pioneering users be able to review and provide comments back on the standard so that those comments can be incorporated in each meeting when they meet on a, it's almost like a bi-weekly basis instead of having to put a PDF out there and wait for comments back and then go through a long and iterative um, process. They're able to release that. But then the live standard is available inside of the Planning platform for users if they want to just reference it or to drag in a piece of content. If somebody's trying to work out you know, even what is the linear approach um, of for, for level of accuracy and we want to know how to calculate it. Well, there's a part of that that you can just drag into your project and whether it's a part of you know, how you execute on a BIM execution plan, it might be a part of the processes that you're you're implementing and it makes it freely available. So it just means that nobody's recreating. I see so many diagrams that are fantastic diagrams being recreated by nearly every team in the in the world that's implementing BIM and putting them into their BIM execution plans, for example. So it's being able to provide that sort of thing freely and not people just not have to reinvent the wheel on standards. Okay, we've re- reached the hour, but you know, don't reinvent the wheel and use best in class things that have you know, been done already. Is it would be a good way to start innovation for our sector, I think. Yeah. Did you have any final questions, John, or, or comments? Nothing for me. Just thanks, Clive. Um, wish you all the best with Plannerly, and I look forward to following along from the sidelines. Th- thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, we should we should talk more on integrations as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happy to. <laughs> any parting words of wisdom, Clive? Uh, words of wisdom. I don't <laughs> plan early and and don't do evil BIM. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, well, from guys. My side, I just I just want to say thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, it was a fascinating discussion. And we definitely must have more of these discussions. So looking forward to it. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it, and have okay. a have a weekend when you get there. Great. Thanks, Cheers, guys. Bye.